0: Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled well. He he was just and fair. This king would provide everything his people needed, including protection from every enemy, if they would live in the kingdom and listen to his voice. Normal would be peace, and life would be good. Who wouldn't want to live under this king's rule or in this king's kingdom? Well, the answer is Israel and ultimately us. Let's pray before we open up the scriptures this morning. Father, you are... God, you are our Father. You are Creator. You are all wise and you have all power. And we adore you. We fall down before you. We recognize who you are. Lord, we look around at our world, and so much of our world has left you has put you on the side and are living life without you, not under your authority. Lord, we pray for our world. We pray that we would be salt and light in it wherever we go, whatever we do, that we might be able to represent you well in a world that's struggling. Lord, it's hard for some of us not to remember 9-11. Anyone who was alive on that day, I think knows where they were when they heard the news, the devastation that happened, and the way, in many ways, our nation turned back to you, if it be only for a short time. God, we pray that we would, as a nation, honor you more and more. Would you draw us back to yourself? We pray for your church. Your church not only here in the States, but but all over the world. We pray that your church would be strengthened. Your church would be equipped. Your church would be energized and sent out. And that your mission would be accomplished. And that your kingdom would come. We pray for some of our sister and brother churches right in our area. We pray for connection. And we pray for Grace Point And we pray for Meadowland. God, use these flocks. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Bless them. We pray for our church. This is our kickoff. This is the start of another season that you've given us. We pray, dear Father, that that we would listen to you well, that we would serve you with joy, and that we would be pure utensils in your hand, making an impact wherever you send us. I think of the women's retreat even right now, Father, as they're probably preparing to come home. I pray for these nine ladies and their families. I pray, dear God, that you'd continue to work in their lives, that they, Father, will have focused on truth and that you've encouraged them for the journey. Father, I pray for this message. I pray, God, that you would... Use it mightily. Lord, as your word is opened up, we know that we will be reminded of truth about you. We'll be convicted. We'll be inspired. God, would your Holy Spirit just be so abundantly active this morning. Not only upstairs here, Lord, we pray for all those downstairs. Downstairs. For those teachers, for those kids, that they might hear your word, that they might understand how wonderful and gracious and loving and just you are. We pray all these things, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Before we open up the scriptures today, I I need to give you a little bit of history. And for some of you, this history might just be a reminder. And for others, this history might be new and fresh. So hopefully, we'll be able to be on the same page when eventually we open to 1 Samuel. Now, mankind has had this love-hate relationship with God ever since the garden. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and, and told them, this is paradise. This is paradise. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to tend to the garden. And, and I want you to eat from every tree except for one. Well, Adam and Eve ate from the one. And, and they sort of <laughs> uh, showed us really well how to disobey God all the way from the beginning said my way brings life but if you go your way it brings death and destruction after a good chunk of time God picked out a guy named Abraham and chose to bless him and make a great nation from Abraham Not because he was special, not because he was exceptionally godly. It's just that's who God chose. Then came Isaac and Jacob, who had 12 sons. One is pretty famous, and his name was Joseph. Well, we learned in the scriptures that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And in spite of this injustice, Joseph was a godly man who suffered 13 years before God gave him leadership in Egypt. Well, once that happened, Joseph gathered his whole family, all 70 of them, and brought them back to Egypt and set them up well. But Joseph did die. And the scriptures tell us that he was soon forgotten. And when that happened, all of his family, all of these Jews, all of the Hebrews became slaves to the Egyptians. Well, at this time, God raised up Moses and set him up perfectly to lead the Jews out of Egypt into a promised land. But as many of you know, Israel's lack of faith and rebellion and complaining led them to 40 years of wandering in a desert. Oh, yet our God was gracious. He provided abundantly for them throughout all their wilderness journey. Now once Moses passed, God handed the leadership reins over to Joshua. Joshua faithfully led the Jews into the promised land. And if you read in the book of Joshua, you're going to find this is an amazing time in their history. But it had a short shelf life. Once again, Israel's unfaithfulness skyrocketed when Joshua died. God was king and ruled his nation through priests and judges. When the people listened to God, they thrived. But when they didn't, they didn't. This cycle was brutal. Obedience brought life and disobedience brought death. When Israel realized life apart from God was harsh, hard, actually wasn't even life, they repented and cried out for help. And God then rescued them. And the Jews experienced abundant living for a while. But soon they drifted. They drifted. They rebelled and, ex- uh, rebelled and experienced God's judgment before starting the ugly cycle all over again. Well, that history covered a lot of the Old Testament But we're coming to a place in 1 Samuel. And you can start to open your Bibles uh, or your screens to 1 Samuel. But when we open up 1 Samuel, we find Eli was Israel's high priest. His spiritual influence was weak. In fact, almost nil. The Hebrews actually were in a bad spot as we open up this book. Little Samuel then enters the stage. It's actually a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story, especially of a godly mom. And you can read it for yourselves. It starts in First Samuel. But what eventually happens is Hannah gives birth to Samuel. And what he does is, or what she does is literally hand Samuel over to Eli. Samuel starts to grow up in the temple. And Samuel has a different perspective than Eli. He listens to God. He walks with God. And eventually he becomes the high priest and the spiritual leader of Israel. In fact, Samuel was a bright spot in a rather dismal time in history. Dismal because... The Hebrews would not learn from their mistakes nor submit to God who was their king. Now at this point, every one of us, maybe you knew some of that history. But so many of us start putting Israel in a box, the Jews in a box, Adam and Eve in a box. All those people were stupid. Why didn't they listen to God? Why didn't they enjoy abundant living? Why was it that it was so hard for them just to obey? Don't shout too loudly. Don't get too proud. Because as I see it, we do the same thing over and over and over again. So let's turn to 1 Samuel, and we're going to start actually at chapter 7. And if you're newer to our our fellowship here, I would encourage you to bring a Bible or to open up a flat screen. Sometimes in our studies, like we just finished a Philippians study, we would just take three or four or maybe up to six or seven verses. In some of these studies, we're going to be covering chapters. And I won't be putting all of those chapters up on the screen. I also will be making suggestions that when you go home, maybe you could check out a certain portion, such as I've already mentioned. And some of you are very, you know, you, you get this. I so said, why don't you go home and read First Samuel chapters one through six? It will give you a little bit better background. But we're jumping to chapter seven. At this point, again to put it in context, the Philistines, which were an evil nation, an idolatrous nation, a godless nation, a nation that God used to bring judgment on Israel. And the Philistines at this moment ruled Israel. They were in this predicament again because they had abandoned God and they were suffering natural consequences. But Samuel, the spiritual leader of Israel, gathered Israelites together. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 3, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Then Samuel, the high priest, the spiritual leader of Israel at this time, said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israels got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshiped only the Lord. This sounds like a good turnaround. It sounds like, okay, God's given grace again. Here's the deal. We've been under this evil power. We don't want this anymore. We're going to worship God. We're going to get rid of the idols. We're going to quit depending on them. And we're going to worship the almighty God. In chapter 8, we read that Samuel was growing old and that the elders of Israel seemed to make a request, a reasonable request. If you go to chapter 8, starting at verse 4, finally all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told them, you are now old. Whoa. (laughs) How's that for right between the eyes, you know? Uh, Okay, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. That's normally what would happen. The sons would take over. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. When you first read it, that doesn't seem so bad. Hey, Sammy, you're getting old. Your sons aren't so good. How about if we bring a king in? We'll bring a good one. And let him lead because your family has basically blown it. But the scriptures say that Samuel was displeased. And it's not about his sons. It's something much, much deeper. Let's look. Verses 7. Same chapter. To everything they say to you, the Lord replied. For they are rejecting me, God says, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them. The way a king will reign over them. This was the pattern of Israel. Give them what they want. But warn them. Let them know actually what an earthly king will require of them. But if you read this again, you got to understand just a little bit of the background. This is important to understand why this was so offensive Both to God and to Samuel. Remember how he started off the message? Once upon a time, there was a good king. Oh, you wanted to live in this kingdom. You wanted to submit. You wanted to obey. You wanted to thrive. That was God. And God said, I want you to enjoy the blessings of my relationship. And basically Israel kept saying, no, nope, don't want it. I'm out of my own. I'm living apart from you. It's clear throughout the scriptures that God's plan was to raise up a nation that had no need for a human king. It would be very, very different because God was their king. This nation would go to God for provide For, provision, for providence? For For provision. They would go to God for guidance. They would go to God just like normal people would go to a king because God was king. We find all the way through the Old Testament God giving clear commands to his people not to trust human rulers, weapons, or armies, but to rather find all their security in him, to go to him. He was your king. Yet in Deuteronomy 17, and you can mark that down, and I'd encourage you to go back and read that whole chapter. But in Deuteronomy 17, it sounds like God, God's plan was to have a king. He's actually talking to Moses. He's giving instructions about the type of king Israel should choose once they get in the promised land. But let me point out a few things. We're not going to read Deuteronomy 17 because of the time. But in Deuteronomy 17, there's a few things that happen. I personally think that God allowed Israel to have a king only as a concession to their sin. God's plan was always that God would be the ruler. But God also knew who Israel was. You will notice in Deuteronomy 17, if you read it, that the people are the ones who wish for a king, not God. And in light of God's foreknowledge, knowing good well that Israel would rebel, he talks about a king they could appoint. In other words, if you're going to have a king, even though it's not my will for you, choose a king like I would choose a king. And he mentioned some things like he should be an Israelite, which is he should be a God-fearer. He should be a king that doesn't have many wives. It sounds a little odd, especially to our culture, but kings, at least in this culture, were judged on, well, let me finish here first. He said it should be an Israelite, should be one that doesn't have many wives or horses or much wealth. He should have a copy of the law and study it daily. You see, back then, a king was judged on how many wives or alliances he would have. A king was judged on how many horses were in his stables because it was power. The king would be judged on how much wealth that king had. And God says, hey, those aren't the important things. I want you to have a king who understands the law and studies it daily and obeys it. That would be a king after my own heart, even though I don't want you to have a king. That's not my will. Now, just a side note. If the Jews had followed these directions, they would have looked and acted completely different than every one of the surrounding kings. There's no doubt. It feels to me like God knows their rebellious hearts and is trying to minimize the damage. So why were they asking for a king? Why was Israel asking for a king? I'm going to say probably two two bad reasons. The first one is everyone else had one. Really? That's going to be a reason? Let's have a king because... Well, every other nation has one. Well, we're different than every other nation. But the second reason was the powerful reason and the hurtful reason, and that is they were rejecting God's sovereign leadership over them. We don't want God to be our king. We want a human to be our king. God's response Do as they ask, Samuel, but warn them. I will send you a man. And and listen to this. I will send you a man, the kind the people want. Anoint him. You're going to find out in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul was the most handsome man in the land. Head and shoulders above everyone. When he walked in a room, Everyone went. Whoa! Oh! Oh! This has got to be our king. Look at him! Whoa! And we're going to find out that God chooses kings differently than man chooses kings. In chapter ten of First Samuel, uh, Saul is anointed as king. And what happens, uh, again, as you kind of read through this whole scenario, as I give you some highlights, after his anointing, God gives Saul the spirit. In verse 6, At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. In verse 9, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. I want you to know that God set up Saul well. It was not his choice. But he gave them the Spirit, and he gave them the ability to lead well. Let me just remind you, again, if some of you are newer to the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell every God-fearer. Today, after the cross, once you come to faith, the Bible tells us that God changes you into a new creation and that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in every believer. It's amazing. Back then, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people at certain times for certain tasks. So what was cool is that Saul had the Spirit Spirit. He had the spirit. So things are looking pretty good right now. They're gonna move forward. But as you've already heard, that Saul is getting old. And in chapter 12, Saul gives excuse me, Samuel gives some last words of advice. Samuel's getting old. Samuel knows he's going to die, and Samuel wants to make sure he can to set up the children of Israel well. He reminds them of God's faithfulness. We we just sang about it. About Israel's unfaithfulness. Now Samuel says this, "Once again you've rebelled and you are wicked because you've asked for a king when God was your king." That's why they were so upset. You have done wrong, Samuel said, but God will give you grace. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 20, these are exact words. Samuel says, Don't be afraid. You have certainly done wrong, Israel. But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all of your heart and don't turn your back on Him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you, they are totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his name for it is pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. As for me, I, certainly, uh, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you and I will continue to teach you what is good and right. Be sure, Israel, to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you But if you continue in sin, you and your king will be swept away. Hey, God's given you grace, Israel. Turn, repent, worship God. This is your chance for a fresh start. If you don't, God will sweep you away. Wow. Not long after. This is chapter 12. Now, I can't give you the exact day later, but it was pretty close. Saul is set up. He's got this charge. Everyone is ramped up. Yes, let's worship God. Let's listen to God. Let's obey God. And it's at this time that Samuel says, Hey, Saul, what I want you to do is meet me at a certain place. I want you to wait for me. I'm going to sacrifice to God. And you're going to start your campaign as a king the right way. Let's read what happens. Chapter 13, starting at verse 7. Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. (laughs) They were going to fight the Philistines. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel instructed him earlier. Now remember, Samuel's just not a guy here. Samuel's God's prophet, and Samuel speaks God's word. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this that you have done? (laughs) Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are right here, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. I wouldn't have even have asked for God's help or the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came this sounds all really good. I don't want to go to battle without God's blessing. So therefore, I'm going to do it. You blew it. You weren't here. You said you'd be here. He responds verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, of the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. By the way, that's what the series is about. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, now this seems so harsh. Are you serious? It sounded like the right thing. Saul wanted to obey. Saul wanted God's blessing. What's the big deal? The big deal wasn't God's way. The big deal is that God told him exactly what to do. The big deal is that he disobeyed. Now, for some of us, as we put God in a box, we'll say, oh, man, um. I don't want to say that God is harsh, but it sure sounds a little harsh right now. Boom, one mistake, boom, the dude's out. Now, I think we're going to understand God's decision better when Saul's pattern is confirmed. Why don't you turn over to 1 Samuel 15. And let me start off telling you the story. Samuel meets with Saul at a different time, a little bit later. And he says this, and this is hard again for us to understand completely, but God used different people groups to bring about his justice. So Samuel went to Saul and said, Hey Saul, it's time to settle accounts with the Amalekites. These Amalekites have been extremely evil and God said he's going to use the Hebrew army and you are going to go and destroy this nation for their ungodliness. He says, destroy everything. Oh, wow. It's hard. Everything. When you go in, you destroy everything. Every living being. every structure, destroy it. But I'm telling you that Saul saw things differently. Chapter 15, verse 9. Saul and his men spared Agag, that's the king's life, and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, not the skinny ones, and the lambs. Everything in fact that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Whoa. It seems to make sense though, doesn't it, in our perspective? Let's just destroy the things that won't help us, but all these other things. These are pretty good things, man. Let's do it, let's keep it. Starting in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, <laughs> this, is I'm warning you, this is one of the saddest texts in the Bible. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command." Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went out to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Me, the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out All of the commands. Now, I just want to stop here. Do you think Saul's an idiot? No. I I don't. I think he really thought he obeyed. That's the problem. It didn't make sense to him, so why should he do it? Whoa. Then, verse 14 what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. Oh, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, stop. Whoa, whoa. stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night oh my word why haven't you obeyed but i did obey i did obey really i'm hearing some goats i'm hearing some sheep is it my ears oh no 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 you're right god told me to do this but you know what i'm smarter than god I'm wiser than God. I know more, you know, than God knows. So, yeah, we thought it was best, we, to keep the sheep alive. And, and then he, asked, why did you obey? And he comes back again, and you'll see this in verse 20. But I did obey. I obeyed. What's wrong with you? I obeyed. I wonder if Samuel at this time started quivering. Started shaking, wondering, are you serious? Look at verse 22. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fatter rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So, and if you mark your Bibles, I would circle this and underline these lines. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as the king. Saul is not a man after God's own heart. Saul did not honor God. Listen carefully to this. He disobeys thinking his way is better than God's. And if we're honest, every time we read God's word and we disobey, every time, What we are saying is that my way is better than yours. Here's something really important to see. Partial obedience is not obedience. I just want you to know. Well, I obeyed the majority of it. I listened to a lot of it. And God's saying, no, no, you disobeyed here's another thing that we need to understand partial obedience deceives you it really makes you think it makes me think that yeah I did obey God I I did that's a lie because partial obedience is disobedience you did not and neither did Saul obey the Lord and Samuel makes it really clear obedience is better than sacrifice. All the work you did, all of the serving God, all of the ministry, you may think that's a good thing, and, and it is. But generally, it's more important that you obey. And here's another thing. What happens is very unique. Repentance is making things right. And as you continue to read this chapter, what Samuel the high priest says is in verse 32, he says, Bring Agag to me, the king. They bring Agag to Samuel. And the Bible says that Samuel cuts him to pieces. The man of God, the non-warrior. I I don't think that was part of his character. I honestly think that he feared God so much. He goes, if you're not going to listen to God, I'm going to listen. I don't know if his next step was going out and just slaughtering all those animals. I know he did this. You see, sometimes we own our sin. Sometimes we recognize, yes, we've offended the almighty God. But we don't do anything about it. We don't really fear God. Okay, we got caught. Okay, it's not the right thing. Okay, I'll learn better next time. But if you read all the way through the scriptures what repentance is, is that there is a sorrow, there's a wrong that you've done against the Almighty God and you repent, make it right, and you change your ways. Samuel didn't do any of that. And you almost have to ask yourself some personal questions right now. Hey, when I read the Scriptures, when I hear something from God, do I disobey thinking I'm smarter? Is my pattern of obedience sort of obeying? Do I obey most of the time or part of it in thinking that that's okay? And when I screw up, and all of us do, do we just live our life like we used to live our life? Or do things change? Here's what happens. Samuel mourns. He mourns. And what I learned from this is that godly leaders mourn over people's sin because it doesn't have to be this way. The Lord said he was sorry he made Saul king because of two mistakes? You mean two strikes and you're out in God's view? No. It was because of his disobedience. God had set him up well, yet Saul disobeyed God, thinking he knew better than God, his king. I'd like to wrap this up. On the screen, you're going to see First Chronicles 13, verses 13 and 14. In First Chronicles, it gives us a little bit of a perspective. And this is what the scripture says. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command and even consulted a medium. It's a different story, but that did happen. Instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Isn't it scary of how much we see us in Saul? God sets us up well. Everyone who has come to faith has the Holy Spirit living in them and gives us the capacity to understand his way, his words, and to obey. Remember, we only deceive ourselves if we think partial obedience is obedience. Disobedience is actually saying or rationalizing we know better than God. And I don't think anyone here would say that. But that's reality. And repentance is more than a feeling, it's an action. You may wonder, why, well, why are we talking about Saul? I, I thought the whole deal was David. That's our new series. Well, God turned the kingdom over to David, his choice for a king. We're going to study why David is different. What makes David a man after God's own heart? And actually, what makes men and women after God's own heart some of you know the David story and in some ways it's much more heinous than Saul well, why did David get that title well, when he was a murderer he was an adulterer he was a greedy man it's all on how he responded It was all how when he disobeyed, how he confessed, how he saw sin and how he repented, and it's all about how Saul didn't respond that way. You know, there's so many lessons, but the big takeaway today is it's important to obey, but when we don't, our response defines whether we are a person after God's own heart. You've got some words on the screen. I think you're going to hear this all the way through our series. It's something you want to talk about. It's something you want to look at. Obey God and run from sin. Obey God and run from sin let me pray Father we come before you and we recognize we justify so much we listen to the lies of the enemy and the culture saying your way does not bring life your way does not give us life oh God we've been deceived too long and even when we want to follow you. We are prone to disobey. We have a bent to doubt you that what you do in our lives is best for us. Oh, God, give us faith. Give us faith. God, may we have it your way in our lives. Father, I ask now that you would take this group of people, this pastor, and you would help us understand what's important to you. That in spite of our ability to run and rationalize, that we would listen to you with all of our hearts. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.